Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. I'm excited about baptizing Lorna. That's going to be great. And um, today, tonight, I I got it really, really early, y'all, so the struggle's real. Uh, But I am uh, probably finishing up tonight my I Am Who I Am Says I Am series, which is from the the book that I have coming out. Uh, I've been working diligently on that, trying to wrap that up. Thank you for accommodating me, allowing me to teach this to you, because it's helped me edit the book and the content. Uh, There's something about presenting that uh, when you do it, you you figure things out. But I'm real excited about the book. Um, It'll be out soon and very soon, and I'm finishing up the final edits, and I'm almost done with this. So tonight, it's I am who I am says I am. And this one is, we're going to deal with this idea of remembering the future. So, I want to say a prayer, and then we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your word. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. And pray, God, that you would just uh, find a way, God, to, to touch us on a Wednesday night. Lord, in our spirit, Lord, deeply, where it matters, Father. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 is kind of my springboard for this. Listen to these words. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Powerful words. Bug and Nona Freeman, Valerie mentioned them this past Sunday. They served as missionaries to South Africa and around the continent for over 41 years. They were powerful, amazing people. We got to spend some time with them. They retired and moved to Minden, Louisiana. We lived in Bossier. It was kind of cool being close, which, as we all know, Minden is very close to Sarepta, which is Aaron's. That's his stomping grounds right there. Bug and Nona Freeman served as missionaries for 41 years. She she tells this fascinating story. I've shared it with some of you. but, but it's, it's just amazing. One of their early converts, Teclamarium Gizagni, was traveling and preaching throughout the Wallow province in Ethiopia. And uh, Tekli, as he was affectionately known, was resting one day under this large, big old oak tree. And he, he was hot by this village. He broke off a small branch from the tree. And soon, Tekli noticed this crowd coming towards him. And uh, Tekli thought the Lord was sending him an audience so he could preach the word of the Lord to them. Little did he know that uh, they were not coming to hear the word. He, he quickly noticed the axes 
and the knives and the machetes and the spears and the angry faces. And uh, what he didn't realize was this particular tree that he had broken a branch off of, well, it had been considered to be a god and had been venerated for, for generations, for years. Priests would ritualistically sprinkle the tree with butter and blood. It was sacred to them. And Tekli had just desecrated their beloved tree. Tekli had to think fast. The Lord restrained the crowd long enough for him to make his case. Freeman relates the story. He asked him, which one do you think is bigger? Tekli pointed this tree or that mountain over yonder. They looked at the mountain and they thought about it and they said, well, the mountain, the mountain is definitely bigger. He said, now tell me, is the mountain or the heaven bigger? They gazed at the sky above and they said, well, it's, it's the heaven. And, and technically now he's, he's praying silently. That, that, you know, his life is in jeopardy here. And he's praying silently and, and uh, then this is, this is the question that, that really got them. He said, is the heaven or the creator who created the heaven bigger? And they said, the creator who created the heaven is bigger. He said, that's my God. That's who I serve. He's bigger than your tree. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And everyone fell silent. The scowls on their faces vanished. And finally, he was able to share the word with them. It's a powerful story, and, and I love that story. It simply illustrates the bigness of our God. Everybody say bigness. That's not a real good theological term. I'm going to throw a couple of good theological terms out to you tonight, but that's not one of them, but we get it, right? The bigness, the bigness of our God. The Creator is far superior to that which He creates. Therefore, as His creation, we are to worship Him and if we worship anything that he created, we are worshiping that which is far inferior. And it's foolishness and it leads to darkness. Romans 1.25 talks about that. So just how big is our God? I would argue that nothing illustrates his bigness quite like his relationship to time. God created time. Everybody say time. And space. For that matter, which is kind of a pun, really, if you think about it, time and space and matter. In science, space and time are often referred to together as space-time. As the creator of space-time, our God is not limited by it. Listen to this. God transcends it. He transcends time and space. He is, after all, the God of the omnis, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at the same time. Isaiah 46.10 says that God declares the end from the beginning. And He's not restricted or confined by space or by time. He does not necessarily view time as linear or sequential. It seems as if God sees the past and the present and the future all simultaneously. Are you with me? Yes. And, and, and it's this eternal now. And, and to us, it's mind-boggling. 
we struggle to wrap our minds around the bigness of God. Paul said we see through a glass darkly. Isaiah put it like this. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we have to squint and intensify our gaze to look higher and deeper and unconventionally at this God and, and the mysteries of God. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 talk about this. Theologians refer specifically to the foreknowledge of God as his prescience. You can say it like this, his prescience is the way it's spelled. His prescience. He knows things in advance. He knows things ahead of time. God starts with the end in mind. That is to say, the outcome, the desired result. And in a sense, he reverse engineers everything required in order to make that result occur. He programs a process for that particular outcome. So his will is inevitable. That's how big our God is. Folks, we serve a big God. He's not a little God. He's a big God. He's not a tree. He's not a cloud. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. The story of Joseph, to me, testifies to the prescience of God and his remarkable ability to work his will, to engineer it into a process. Joseph was the son of Jacob and Rachel. He was a dreamer. He had this code programmed inside of him, like in his spiritual DNA, or even at a deeper level, at an atomic level, just down on the inside of him. And, 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 and this, this, this code was filled with dreams and, and things that God had put in him. And, and it, it was hardwired into the core of his makeup. He was preloaded with world-changing power. His dreams were dreams of blessings, dreams of favor and greatness <clears throat> to the extent that he even saw his dad and mom and his brothers bowing down before him. And, and this even disturbed Jacob who adored his youngest son at that time, Joseph. Jacob adored him, gave him a coat of many colors, showed him all kind of blessings and favor. But, but when Joseph had the dream that, Dad, you and Mama, you're going to bow before me, and, and all, all of y'all, the whole family's at the breakfast table one day. Imagine that. I just Let's put it in your family. In my family, if Alexander woke up one day, <laughs> sat at the breakfast table and said, Dad, Mom, Caleb, Lizzie, I've had a dream. You're all going to serve me one day. We're like, well, that day's already come. It seems like we already all serve you, right? Like, <laughs> it was disturbing even to Joseph and uh, to Jacob. It was disturbing even to Jacob. But it was really disturbing to his brothers. They were already jealous because of the favor that Jacob, and, and you know that story, Jacob was different. The father that raised Joseph was really the guy who had his name changed to Israel, who walked with a limp because he had an encounter with God. 
Jacob, the guy who had not encountered God like that, who had not walked with a limp, was a scoundrel. He raised those other boys. And those boys were a chip off the old block chance. They were a mess. Joseph was raised by a man who had been changed. Can I just say this? Like It's important as parents that we have an encounter with God so we don't pass down our negative traits. Joseph had a touch of God on his life because his daddy had a touch of God on his life. It's important, fathers, can I say that, that we have a touch of God on our life so we can pass that down to our kids. They're going to already struggle with the devil, the flesh, the world. They're going to struggle with their lust, and they're going to struggle with the works of the flesh. But, but you, can, you can put something in them because you have a touch of God on your life. It'll be caught and taught. You can't neglect teaching by hoping they just catch it, but you can't neglect having a walk with God that they can be affected by, and it's not just uh, a lesson that you're teaching them with your words. So these, uh, these old boys, man, they hated, they hated, they hated Joseph. As a matter of fact, they decided to kill him. And this is the way they did it. They lured him out, out into the wilderness, and they decided to just throw him into a pit that he couldn't get out of and leave him to die. How's that for brothers, right? Just leave him in the pit to die. Then, after they threw him in the pit, he's like going, hey, get me out of here. I'm stuck down here. They're like, now you're just going to stay there for a while. And they're like, man, I sure am hungry. Reuben, did you pack the, the lunch? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got lunch. Well, let, let's have a picnic. So on the edge of the pit where their brother's screaming for help, they spread out a picnic and they eat lunch right there. These are cold, heartless brothers. They hated Joseph. And then... As they're finishing up, you can just see it. You know, the chicken bones all over the place, like right? Just picking their teeth. And they look in the distance, and here come these Midianites who are slave traders, human traffickers. And they come by. They're like, hey, where are you guys going? Well, we're going to Egypt. We're selling some people. Bright idea. Hey, why leave him in the pit? We can make some shekels off of him. Joseph, we're going to get you out, son. Hold on. They pull him, pull him up out of the pit. He's like, man, thanks. Guys, I'm starving. I, I, I don't. And they're like, well, that's okay. They'll take care of you over here. Here's our brother. And they sell their brother into slavery to these human traffickers and, and take some, some silver for their brother. They're cold, heartless. Why leave him for dead when we can make a few shekels off of him? So... They send him into slavery. Well, you know the story. Those Midianites take him into Egypt. He's on the auction block. And a guy named Potiphar buys old Joseph. So, you know, there's an auctioneer. Hey, you know, doing the whole auctioneer thing. I can't do that. And, and, uh, and Potiphar, you know, holds his little sign up. Sold to Potiphar. And he gets old Joseph, and he, he brings him to his house. And Joseph has this excellent spirit. Joseph is really, the touch of God is on his life. That's, that's what I'm trying to get to here. He's in process. Everybody say process. He had dreams. The dream 
did not have anything. It never, it, it had nothing to do, never spoke of a pit and jealous brothers. The dream, the vision, what he felt on the inside, that itch that he wanted to scratch, it never mentioned being sold into Potiphar's house. Being a slave. He didn't see that. But wherever he was, he rose to the top. He had an excellent spirit about him. Again, I, I don't want to oversell an upbringing, but I certainly don't want to undersell it either. He had a, a father who had been touched by God, and it just made certain things possible in his spirit. He was open. He was soft towards the things of God, and God had put that deep in him. And, and when you think, when you think of being pliable in the hands of God, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the de desires of your heart. We've talked about that in this series. Delight means to make yourself pliable, to be pliable. God puts dreams in people who are humble before Him. God puts ideas. You think, well, that's just what I want. When, when you're humble and submitted to the Lord, He'll give you those desires. N not... Not in the sense that I want a million dollars and he says, here's a million dollars. But you say, I want to do your will, Lord. And he puts a desire in you that I want to start a business where I can take some of those proceeds and give to missions. And you're like, that's my idea. No, you were humble before the Lord and he put that desire in your heart. It, when, 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 you, when you say pliable and humble before the Lord... It's not soft as in mamby-pamby. It's soft in the hands of the Lord, but in the processes of life and, and with the flesh and the devil, when, the, when this world tries to mold you in the way it wants you to go, ain't nothing soft about your heart at that point. I'm yielded to God, not you. You see what I'm saying? Joseph was like flint. Remember when Jesus set his face like flint? I, I have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. He was pliable in the hands of the Father, the man Christ Jesus. And Joseph is such a type of Christ. Here he is pliable in the hands of his heavenly Father. And God put dreams in him. And when the process was beating the tar out of him, he never bowed the knee. He never got bitter. Here he is serving an Egyptian. Dreams of greatness. Dreams of these people bowing down. He wouldn't see them for years. He's serving in Potiphar's house. And he rose to the top. Because he had a touch of God on his life. He rises to the top. Finally, Potiphar says, listen. Everything you touch turns to gold. You got some incredible insight. There, there's such favor on you. I, I'm going to put you over all my house. You're now, you're going to take care of my business. As a matter of fact, all my business you can take care of. Stay away from the wife. Her name was Mrs. Potiphar. That's what the Hebrew says. Mrs. Potiphar. So, 
Mrs. Potiphar, wouldn't you know it, she sees this fine young man who's just got such favor and blessing and just such excellence. And she falls in love with him. And so she just vexes his soul. She's, she's always coming after him. And finally one day, I mean, it's just awful. And she, she's like putting the move on him. And he finally decides, he said, listen, your husband. He said, I can, everything in this house, I, I, can, I, can, I can be a part of it except you. And she, she's insisting. Finally, he, he has to run away. She grabs his coat. You know the story. She grabs his coat. She hangs on to it. He runs. And then she accuses him of doing bad things. It's a lie. Potiphar puts him in prison. Now, I don't believe he believed his wife because he would have had Joseph immediately executed, chances are. I don't think he believed his wife. Oh, sorry, woman, I'm a hag. I can't believe know. Puts her, puts him in prison. And so you see the story. He's in the pit. He's at Potiphar's house. And now he's in prison. And while he's in prison, he just, he doesn't let a bad attitude get a hold of him. Doesn't let a bad spirit get a hold of him. He just does the right thing. He serves. He blooms wherever he's planted. There he is. And, and he starts running the prison. It's amazing. He runs the prison. And he rises to become the chief trustee, the head trustee of the prison. Chance, you know something about uh, in, in your line of work. <clears throat> and here he is. He's, the, he's the, the guy, man. He's like, he's the, the head trustee of the prison. And Pharaoh's butler and Baker get thrown into prison as well. And so they're in there and they start having dreams. Well, Joseph knows something about dreams. And so instead of saying, I know something about dreams, but I don't belong here. I ain't helping you. You guys fend for yourself. Bad attitude. He says, how can I serve you? You've had dreams. I know something about dreams. The dreams disturb the butler and the baker. And, and the baker and the butler share their dreams with Joseph. The butler says, here was my dream. I, I dreamed that, uh, and he gives a story. I forgot what it was exactly. And the baker's like, here's my story. Joseph says, I know the interpretation. Here's what that means. Mr. Butler, it's a, in the Hebrew, it's this, it's this sick kind of joke. He says to the butler, he says, here's what's going to happen. The Lord's going to lift up your head and restore you to your former position with Pharaoh, a cupbearer, a butler in his court. And the baker's like, what about me? What about me? He's like, well, unfortunately, he's going to lift off your head. You're going to be executed. Just a couple days. And sure enough, it happened. But he told that old butler, he didn't have to tell the baker, but he told the butler, he said, listen, when you're restored, remember me. I was falsely accused. So he knew his story. He wasn't in denial. He's like, remember me. I was falsely accused. And the butler's like, oh, I will. I'll remember you. So the butler's restored and totally forgets about Joseph. Again, Joseph doesn't say, stupid. Butler, you know, I should, ugh, curses, I can't ever, my dreams will never come to pass. 
He was in process. Everybody say process. He did not see the prison in his dreams when he was a kid. Never saw those shackles and those bars. and He didn't see any of that. He, he was a head trustee, but he was still in prison. And here he is in this terrible situation. And finally, Pharaoh has a dream. He has more than one. He has some dreams. And he's asking his soothsayers, his magicians, his spiritualists. He's like, you know, he's going, you know, tell me what these dreams are. What do they mean? And nobody can figure it out. And finally, the butler says, I know a guy. He told me my dream. He told, you remember old Dumaflachi the baker? Oh, yeah, we remember him. He told us both our dreams, and it happened just like he said. Pharaoh's like, bring him to me now. Brings Joseph into the courts of Pharaoh. And Joseph says, tell me your dream. He tells him. Joseph says, with such certainty. I love that. He says, this is what your dream means. There will be seven years of plenty. Tremendous, bountiful harvest. And you're going to get so much that you're going to have tons left over. You need to build some warehouses and plan for the future because those next seven years will be difficult years, years of famine. And man, it just was like a tuning fork. It resonated with Pharaoh, and he said, that's it. That's what those cows and that corn, that's what all that means. I get it. I see it. And in one night, Joseph went from being in prison to being the second most powerful man in all of the world. In one, just one moment, Pharaoh sent word, bring him up here. And when he brought in Joseph, he didn't bring him in and say, you know, keep those shackles on him and let's tie him up over here in the, in the corner and I'll... Consult with him as needed. He's like, no, set him free. Get him a palace. Get him a house. Fill his bank account, man. This guy's got a job, and I want him comfortable. I want him at ease. I want him to be able to do what he has seen, what he has had the spiritual insight to foresee. And so Joseph then goes about reaping the harvest, storing the harvest, making plans, and sure enough, seven years later, they've got barns and warehouses. Man, it's like Amazon, right? They've got drones flying through their warehouses, and they've got robotics taking care of everything. I'm letting my imagination go, but it's, it's like Amazon on the Nile, right? And those years of drought come and famine, boom, one after another. And that drought hits Egypt. That drought hits Canaan, the whole surrounding area. And pretty soon, the only people that have food are the people of Egypt. And they only have it because of Joseph. And Jacob and Joseph's brothers are starving. And they said to their dad, we've got to go into Egypt. we got to get some food. And so 
they go. And Joseph, now, he doesn't look like he used to look. He's been there. He's been out of the house for probably 15 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. He's grown up. He's filled out. He's matured. Probably has a, you know, a beard that he couldn't grow like he can now. He's obviously wearing guy liner because he's in Egypt. I don't know. You know, he looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian. He actually speaks the language. And so Joseph's brothers, they all show up. And Joseph is out there kind of supervising, watching as, as all these people from around the world are coming. And they're just, they're, they're paying silver and gold and money. They start running out of cash and they start bringing deeds and titles to their, their lands. And Pharaoh's just in, being enriched. I mean, hand over fist, he's making cash. He's making money. His kingdom is expanding. And all because of Joseph. Think about that. All because of Joseph. It's a divine setup. None of this is a surprise to God. That's the point. None of this surprised God. He knows the end from the beginning. You look at your situation, you're like, I didn't foresee. I didn't foresee my brothers turning their backs on me. I didn't foresee this pit. I didn't foresee Potiphar's house and the, that lion woman. I didn't foresee that. I didn't foresee the prison. I didn't see the being overlooked and the underestimated. I didn't see that when I had dreams of what you wanted to do in my life. But God saw it. Because he has prescience, prescience. He knows things in advance and he engineers them. He's like, Joseph, I got to teach you some things, boy. And it's going to take the process to get you where you need to be. And you're going to wake up one day exactly where your dream said you would be. You just came another way that you couldn't have predicted. You can't outthink God. Don't try to. Just yield to Him in the process and watch where God takes you. Just yield to Him in the process. So, so His brothers, they show up and, and Joseph recognizes and he's blown away. That's my brothers. That's my brothers. And he's speaking in Egyptian. They don't understand him. And so he tells, he tells some guys, he's like, I want to I talk to those guys. Bring them here to me. And so they grab his brothers. They bring them up. And he starts speaking to them through an interpreter. And so, you know, it takes some time. He's like, who are you guys? And they're like, we are sons of Jacob. You know, we have come to get food. Our father's sick and our younger brother's home. He seizes upon that. He says through the interpreter, you have a younger brother? Because he didn't know him. Yeah, Benjamin. It's like, oh, well, here's some food, but I'll give you no more food until you bring your brother to me. And they're like, oh, oh, premier, king, pharaoh, listen, I, I, we, we lost a brother many years ago, and our father's heartbroken about it, and we could never. He's like, if you want more food, bring your brother to me. He was testing them. He wanted to know where their hearts were, had they changed at all. And so those brothers go back, and they tell Jacob, they bring some food, and they're like, we don't know how this happened, but we got called out. And then he said, I'm not giving you any more food until you bring Benjamin, your younger brother, to see me. I want to meet him. And Jacob's like, oh, hey, no way. I can't do that. We can't. I can't let that happen. No, I lost Joseph. I, I'll never lose Benjamin. 
And those brothers start saying, listen, Dad, it's the only way we can get food. We will vouch for him. We will make sure nothing happens to him. And so they talk their dad into it. They bring Benjamin along. And then Joseph, you know the story. Let me rush through it real quickly. Joseph sees Benjamin and interrogates him and says, okay, I'm going to give you some food. And he's speaking through the interpreter. They still have no idea. And so they, they take off. They have some animals. They have sacks with, with grain in it, in those sacks. And he tells his guys, put some, uh, some of my silverware and my goldware and stuff, put it in that younger boy's bag. And when they get out of town, go arrest them. Okay, yes, your majesty. And so they take off. They think they've gotten their grain. Everything's fine. The police show up. Pull them over. And they're like, listen, you guys have stolen. They're like, oh, my Lord, we've not stolen anything. He's like, yeah, you have. They cut open Benjamin's sack. Out falls the silver and gold. They're crestfallen. No. No, no, this is a mistake. This didn't happen. I got to bring it. We got to bring it in, all of you. So they bring them in. They come before Joseph. And he's through an interpreter. And they're saying, no, no, this didn't. This, 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 we didn't do this. this and he's like, your brother is in trouble. We got to keep him. And, 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 and they're like, no, it, you can't. You don't understand. And finally, one of the brothers says, take me. But let my brother go. And, and Joseph is choking back tears because he knows these, these brothers of mine have had a change of heart. Whereas they were willing to throw me under the bus, they're now willing to lay their life down for their younger brother. And he told his guys, his guards, he's like, leave us. They leave the room. And Joseph starts talking to them in Hebrew. And he says, do you know who I am? They have no idea. I am Joseph, your brother. You talking about hearing a pin drop. They, they don't know what to do. But he starts weeping and he embraces them and they fall on each other's necks and they cry. And he says to them, you didn't understand what you were doing. I serve a God who knows how to work all things. Not just good things, all things, together for the good. Pitfalls and bondages and lies and stuff that happens in our lives. You just make sure your heart stays turned towards God. I don't understand this, Lord. I didn't plan on this. This was not in the dream. This is a nightmare. And the Lord's just saying, you just stay, you just stay the course, son. You keep your heart pile before, before me because I can change everything in one moment. I can bring you into the fullness of what I put in there all those years ago in one moment if you'll just stay faithful, son. If you'll just stay faithful, my daughter. Amen. The prescience of God. He reverse engineered it. And I love it because, you see, years later, when Jacob died, he 
Jacob dies and the brothers get afraid. They're like, now Pharaoh learns the whole story, brings the whole family into the land of Goshen, into Egypt. You do know that them being there was prophesied some many years before by Abraham that they would be there for 400 years and that they would come out with great wealth and whatnot, but it was prophesied years before. The Lord told Abraham, the Lord told Joseph's great-grandfather that the whole family's going to move to Egypt. Joseph was the way that was going to happen. And so the whole family... Pharaoh brings them all into the land of Goshen, gives them the best land. They're highly favored. They get the best land. They're in the best place. And, and then Jacob dies, and the brothers get a little freaked out. They're like, well, Jacob's gone now. Our brother could do whatever he wanted to do to us now. And so they get afraid, and, and they let Joseph know, are you going to treat us harshly now? And, and Joseph says to his brothers, I love this. He says, do not be afraid. For I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And be comforted. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God reversed reverse-engineered everything. Why were the Midianites passing by at just that time? Why did they want to bring him to that pit at just that particular time, somewhere around lunch or dinner? Why did Potiphar, of all people, buy Joseph? Why, why was it that woman? Why was it that prison? Why, why were Pharaoh's butler and baker in trouble at that time and placed in proximity to Joseph in that Prison. And all of that's just scratching the surface of, uh, surface of all the little minute details that got him right where he needed to be at just the right time. We serve a God who is big. You hear what I'm saying? He's big. He's bigger than your trouble. He's bigger than the circumstances you're facing right now. He's got it under control. You can worship him. You can praise him in the storm because he's got your best in mind. Give him some praise right now. Stand with me and give him some praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. All of hell cannot stop his redemptive plans and purposes. Whatever he's placed on the inside of you and said, this is what I, I want you to do. This is who I say you are. You can lean into that in the good times and in the bad times, David said in Psalm 139, he said, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Wow. Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I call this remembering the future. Swedish researcher David Ingvar coined the phrase, memories of the future. He says the human brain creates patterns for future activity simply by envisioning it beforehand. His peer-reviewed published studies have shown that the synapses firing when one is daydreaming are pretty much the same synapses firing when one is actually doing what one was daydreaming about. In other words, you and I are hardwired to dream and to envision the future. Now, the new age, different religions have twisted this idea. But the bottom line is this. It's possible for you in advance to see yourself being who God called you to be. Doing what God's called you to do. To such an extent that when you're actually doing it, it's deja vu. I'm right where I need to be. I think that's the way Joseph was when he sat on that throne and his brothers were bowing. And they did bow, incidentally. So did his dad and mom. They all bowed. He's like, I've been here and done that. Yeah. One day, some of you are going to look back and say, wow, I'm right where I, I thought I would be. I just, I didn't get here the way I thought I would get here. Can you relate to that? Some of you already know about that. You're like, how did I get here? Wow. But you're here. You're still in the game. Amen. We serve a big, big, big God. Amen. We got people here from Jamaica. We got people here from Florida. Different parts of the state. Missouri. My Lord. Iowa. Georgia. Mississippi. In the house. And here we are in Prairieville. How did that happen? God. Come on now. Big God. Amen. We're going to baptize Lorna here in a minute. Just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, I thank you for your foreknowledge, God. May I never take it for granted. May I never look at my situation and think that you don't know where I am. You know exactly where I am. Hallelujah. And and you're worthy of my praise in every season. Every step of the process. You're worthy of my praise. Come on, lift your hands to Him right now. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I worship you today, God. You're a big God. So much bigger than I am, God. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. I I, I see through a glass darkly. I squint and I try to comprehend the mystery of you, Lord. But I want to be careful to give you praise. Never turn my back. Never turn my back on you. Hallelujah. But you'll reach over to somebody next to you right now. Somebody needs to be encouraged. God knows right where you are. He knows right where you are. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. 
For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.